Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 79 of the Mandolin's Beer Podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, the Mandolin Cafe. And uh, congratulations to Scott Napier for making it on the front page of the Mandolin Cafe. There's a fantastic article and some great video up there for you to check out. So be sure, if you haven't been there yet this week, be sure to go there and check it out. Uh, a couple cool things coming up here soon. One of them, um, Andrew Marlin has put out a new album, and he has a second album coming out. He talked about that on the track-by-track track we did a few weeks ago, I guess maybe even a month and a half ago now. And he's going to be coming back on to talk about um, what's been going on, and we're going to talk about those albums. And I thought it might be cool to kind of do something a little bit different since he's been on before, and he was on for his track-by-track, track, is if you guys have any questions for Andrew... Why don't you email me at danielpatrickmusic at yahoo.com and uh, shoot him my way. And again, I'm not 100% sure we'll get to him, but uh, it might be kind of cool to do something like that. So, and I did see my buddy over there at Picky Fingers did something like this too. Um, and if you haven't listened to the Picky Fingers podcast, by the way, I know it's banjo, but it's great stuff. And Keith's, Keith's a great guy, so be sure to check that out. So anyway, let's check that out. And I do have a couple... Uh, a couple interesting things, too. I've got some non-mandolin players coming up here that actually, well, they play mandolin, but that's not their main instrument. And I thought it'd be cool to maybe talk to some players like that where their main instrument isn't mandolin. But when you see them play mandolin, you are absolutely blown away. So I've got that coming up here, starting with next week. Um, and uh, I don't want to spoil the surprise, though. So just pay attention to my Instagram and you'll see who's coming up. All right. Let's get to the sponsors. Peghead Nation, streaming video courses in mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass. You'll learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots music. PegheadNation.com features a great lineup of mandolin instructors. Sharon Gilchrist, Joe K. Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Feibish, and Chad Manning. Joe Walsh has got a special new course coming up on there, and I couldn't be more excited to see it. And um, when it is ready to come out, I'm going to have Joe on for a few minutes at the beginning of a podcast to talk all about it. I love Joe's playing, so I can't imagine that this, that this won't be anything less than stellar. Uh, so the courses, they include high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. And join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now and get your first month for free. Go to PegheadNation.com and use the promo code MANDOLINBEER at checkout. And Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at NorthfieldMandolins.com. Download their app at MandoSummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. Ear Trumpet Labs, I'm using one right now. They hand build these beautiful microphones in Portland, Oregon. Their mics are beautifully designed. They have great feedback rejection for live use and the most natural tone you'll find for acoustic instruments. And you can check them out at eartrumpetlabs.com today. They are great people up there. Um, so be sure to check them out. Speaking of great people, Pava Mandolins, dedicated to building for the impassioned player. They're built in Austin, Texas, where they got some snow, lost power, and and uh, my buddy Kim Warner there uh Got his pipes freeze up. That's the worst. So I don't miss that weather, and I'm hoping none of it's coming this way. Anyhow, let's get to David Surrett. David is a heck of a guy. Um, he's got a killer website, so much cool stuff. He's a teacher. He's available for online lessons. Um, he's working on some stuff you'll hear about here coming up, and I highly recommend going over to Bandcamp. He's got a killer release that came out, I believe it was last year, and um, he put a book out with it as well, which I think is super cool. Um, and he's got it in tab and in regular notation. It's French and Italian tunes for mandolin and fiddle. And I'll have links for all of this stuff at mandolinsandbeer.com. Be sure to follow me on Instagram and Facebook and leave a review and subscribe if you haven't already done so. Let's get into it with David Surratt, everybody. Cheers. I'd like to welcome to the podcast, David Surrett. David, how are you, buddy? 
good, Daniel. It's nice to be here. Man, it's Thanks nice for to have you. Having me on the show. Absolutely. You know, I have to thank um, one of my patrons had done the camp with you and Alan and Matt and I believe Don Sternberg was that yep, the one just a few? Yeah. Right. And yep. um, he he messaged me and a said what a killer camp it was. He's like, oh, you should have David Sorrett on. I think he'd be really open to it. I'm like, I would love to have him on. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah we, did, we did talk about it a little bit, and he said that he knew you and. That um, he said, yeah, I'll I'll make a little connection for you. So I I really appreciate that. Well, we um we we started talking beer kind of early into this. Usually I save it near the end of the podcast, but uh, <laughs> we're both enjoying a beer right now. What what what's the beverage you are uh, drinking, David? I've got a classic Guinness Draft Stout. Oh wow, boy oh boy, I love a Guinness. I haven't had Guinness in a while, and it just it's hitting the spot. I got to tell you, that's great. I've got a, a local brewery here that I play every Saturday or every second Saturday uh, called Palmetto Brewing, and I'm drinking one oh, of their cool. uh, mango IPAs, which um, at first you would think, oh, there's no way that's going to be good, and it's just so incredible. It's the perfect blend of everything. They do a great job. I've had a grapefruit IPA that's pretty tasty, so I can see the, the mango might make a good match. Yeah, and you guys, you guys have quite the IPA scene up. Uh, in your area there? Uh, you know, I think it's one of the most popular types of beer, certainly in New England. Uh, I, you know, I don't know really exactly how it all developed, but it seems like every place you go to, they've got the IPA, the double IPA, the hazy IPA. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they have multiple, <laughs> multiple types. Yeah. But, um, and I, I like them. I do think some people, I have a buddy who doesn't really dig IPAs, and he goes there and it's like, what am I going to drink? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So how you been? You were, you're talking about, um, uh, you, through this pandemic, we were kind of talking about music and different projects that people are, are working on. And it sounds like you have kind of an interesting project in the works that you've been, that you've been thinking about putting together. Yeah. I've been slowly putting together some, some solo tunes and, you know, I'll probably do a little overdubbing here and there, but the idea is to do, uh, a solo recording project. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a fingerstyle guitar project like this and a number of years ago. It was called uh, Trip to Campere. all finger style um finger style originals and then my um green mandolin album is a bit like that although it's got some overdubbing and some accompaniment by a few other people on it so to focus on some originals and I had sort of a backlog of a few tunes and had written a few new tunes this past spring so I'm going to try to focus on the mandolin and my sittern which is the you know the big bodied 10 string instrument and um I'm, I'm maybe like about a quarter of the way into it at this point oh cool now are you recording it at home I am oh, oh, well just nice. we we have a little my wife Susie and I who uh, we have uh, folk duo together yeah yeah um we have a little studio in a old converted mill here in, in the next town over oh, right on the river out of here wow yeah it's pretty sweet and yeah. we so it's not a full-fledged recording studio but it's good for like a home recording setup we do our a lot of our teaching there um we can rehearse we can uh practice get away you know if one wants to practice at home and one wants to practice down there, so it's it's been really great. It's a nice little spot. That's so awesome. I'm recording. I'm recording there. What's your um? I, I love I, this is the nerdy question stuff, but I love it. But what's your um, setup as far as recording the mandolin there? 
man, you're not going to get too far with the sound geeks with this one. <laughs> so it's a it's a blue snowball into Garage Band. Oh yeah, that's man. It, I'm telling you, I think that's a that's why I love asking these questions because I'm always blown away by the quality of stuff that that people can use. I mean, like you, you make it sound like it's not a big tech thing, but that just goes to show that you don't need to go out and spend $4,000 on a pair of Neumann vintage KM84s and the whole, you know, crazy thing. It's all about what you kind of do and thinking about where you place mics and how you play. You know, I do think that's a big part of it. I had, I had good luck with the guitar album using a relatively simple setup. And I also will say that, um, I do think having it, you know, a little bit of mixing and mastering goes a long way as well. So I, I do the basic recording of it, and then I bring it to our, our buddy Chris Magruder here in town, who has a great studio, Thundering Sky Studio, and he puts the final touches to it just to give it a little bit more of a sheen. So it's a nice combo that way, and I think a lot of people are recording you know, recording at home these days, and then maybe you know the the combo with working with a uh, small studio for that final touch that's hard to get on your own. But you can do a lot of the initial tracking on your own, and people have been doing it for for a while. And it's actually remarkably affordable to have something mixed and mastered by somebody, if like in a project sense. I right. It's it's blows my mind that you can, I mean, just with the technology and the access you have to people, and especially since people are home right now, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right, that right. do that stuff, this is perfect for them as well. And, you know, it's um, it's money well spent, I think. Oh, I agree. Bring that project up one more level sound-wise. Yeah, you can tell instantly, I think most people anyway, it, when when you listen to a recording of somebody who put it out themselves and just did it in a computer, which is great. Um, it, compared to somebody who, you know, did the same sort of thing, but then went and hired somebody to, uh, to master it and kind of tweak it. There's just certain things that, you know, you can buy a mastering software, but it's not the same as having someone who knows exactly what all that stuff does and how to tweak something like that. Right. The experienced ear makes a big difference. For sure. Now, did you do the French and Italian tunes at your studio as well? did yep yeah that sounds killer oh thanks man absolutely yeah so you Thank have you. let's talk about that real quick too what we're talking about you have you have an album and a book and it's french and italian tunes for mandolin and fiddle and it sounds fantastic in the book and you thank you for sending me a copy of that by the way oh yeah you're it was welcome. really nice it's killer and um you know looking at it on Bandcamp. He got some pretty, you know, some pretty great words of encouragement from, uh, or support from Mike Marshall and uh, Scott from Mandolin Cafe as well. Has nothing but great stuff to say about it, and uh, I couldn't agree more. It's it's excellent. Well, I really appreciate that. Thank you. Um, it was a very fun project to do. I have to say, you know, um, I had been over in Italy uh, a couple of summers teaching at Carlo Leonzo's. Academia Mandolino. I noticed you had Carlo on a few I weeks did. ago. What a great guy. Oh, my gosh. Well, he runs this summer music camp for a week, mandolin camp, although there's also nylon string guitar, and it's right on the ocean, on the Mediterranean Sea. You know, you can, you can go down, get yourself a cup of coffee, go out on the terrazza, finish your coffee, walk down a set of stairs, and just jump right in the ocean. It's amazing. Wow. <laughs> it does sound amazing and mandolin <laughs> and mandolin so i i always had you know been exposed a little bit to italian mandolins but i you know i hardly knew i hardly knew anything so like seeing what carlo was doing and all these other players and all the like the rich tradition of folk music and mandolin orchestras and mandolin quartets and all the composers from like that golden age of the mandolin, the late 19th century, 
into the early 20th century, it was just fascinating. I felt like my my mind was getting blown in the in the best possible way. So when I came back, I could see a lot of links between the Italian music and the French music that I was a little more familiar with. And I thought this would be a nice project to get some of these tunes out there, especially for people that maybe aren't familiar. You know, I'm not an expert in this, so I'm not putting it out there as like a musicological research or anything. (laughs) I just thought people that people that played fiddle tunes and dug good mandolin tunes would enjoy playing these tunes and maybe learning a little bit about them. So I did a lot of, lot of research and put together what I thought was a pretty good collection of tunes, a lot of variety, a lot of six, eight, a surprising yes. amount of six, eight. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The variety is great too, though. That's, that's the other thing is, um, what do you call it? a sampler appetizer sampler you know when you're like you're not sure what you want and then you listen you're like oh there's so many different things here <laughs> yeah yeah that's it that's it exactly that was one of the goals was to try to you know turn people on to some of this stuff there's a nice discography in the back to give people some ideas of things to listen to and then the recordings as i mentioned to you are you know pretty simply done they're they're done a little bit um sort of a mid-tempo feel so people can really hear the tunes and learn them. But I think they also, they make for nice listening. It'd be a great thing to put on if you're making an Italian dinner and popping a nice bottle of, I mean, you might pop a bottle of wine occasionally, even on a beer and mandolins podcast. Oh, right? absolutely. <laughs> and then, um, and we'll, we'll save the other man, the other album that I'm the most familiar with, I think, is the, the Green Mandolin album, which is how I first uh, became familiar with your playing via the mandolin cafe somehow you know it was was amazing but let's let's talk first a little bit more about how you got into playing mandolin (laughs) so i i did start with guitar Mm -hmm. when i was a a teenager young young teenager i think i was 13 and i always really liked acoustic stuff I, i played electric too my first my first decent guitar was an electric um but I kept getting more and more into the acoustic realm. So my senior year of college, I had two other great friends and roommates who were also guitar players. So we would sit around and our our jams were a little one-dimensional. So we all said, we'll take a vow and each of us will pick up another instrument. So my buddy John took the harmonica, Eric took slide guitar and, uh, I started with the mandolin. I had, I had a borrowed mandolin from another friend and I had the feeling of like this instrument just really fits me and speaks to me. I tried a few other instruments cause you know, like you dabble when you're starting instruments, played a little bit of that, played a little bit of nylon string, played a little bit of some woodwinds. I had already played electric, which I did like and still like, <laughs> but, um, the mandolin just really, really spoke to me. So I, I could tell, yeah, this is something for me. So I've, st- I've stuck with it ever since. I've always played guitar as well. You know, I play the two. Um, and I've learned a lot going back and forth between them. I think the mandolin is such a melodic instrument. It really helped me focus on single note lines and approaching the guitar as a melody instrument. Whereas I think my background on guitar and my, my chord background really helped me when it came time to look at chording on the mandolin and developing chords and playing rhythms and looking at different uh, relationships between chords that I think for like fiddle players, sometimes when they double on mandolin, they can be a little bit mystified in the chord department. That's such a single note world from that fiddle thing. Yeah, you know? right. Yeah. right. <laughs> well, um, what kind of stuff are you guys playing when you, it's, it's interesting to hear like, um, you know, when you're saying the instruments that the guy's got, like a harmonica, slide guitar, and mandolin, what kind of things were you, were you all listening to as, as, as those three guys at first? Oh, geez. You know, it was like a lot of really classic um, folk blues, maybe a little bit of acoustic rock. So this was like, the early eighties, I was in college from 81 to 85. So, you know, that kind of music wasn't certainly like on the top 40 at that point, but you know, we play, it still was really popular in bars and it's, you know, it still has been. I mean, how many times do you go out and you hear somebody playing American pie in a bar? Oh, absolutely. A lot of that stuff is perennial. So we were playing 
um, a lot of those sort of folk classics from the 60s and 70s. Um, we were all really hard into country blues, so we did a lot of stuff by like Robert Johnson and Reverend Gary Davis and Mississippi John Hurt, those guys. Um, had a little bit of a passing uh, interest in bluegrass. Not, I mean, I liked listening to it, but we didn't. We weren't set up to be like a bluegrass band or anything. We played a few fiddle tunes, and I started to get into Celtic music too at that point through contra dances and that sort of thing. But that that was a little bit of a separate realm. So it was it was just like a really so enjoyable to play that kind of music. Just it was the kind of things that we had been sitting around in our jam sessions playing, and we thought, well, let's let's do some gigs. And that was how that sort of turned into a job after all these years. <laughs> what kind of, do you remember what kind of mandol- what mandolin it was that you were borrowing? Oh, my gosh. We called it the banandolin because someone had stuck a Chiquita banana sticker on the headstock. <laughs> it was that kind of mandolin. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, it probably cost like 35 bucks. Sure. It was, it was a junker. Oh, that's funny. I, I did progress up one level and I had like a, an old harmony mandolin. Oh, cool! So that wasn't that wasn't too bad. First decent mandolin I bought, which was like either my senior year of college or right afterwards, was an old uh, pumpkin top Gibson A. Oh, I love those! And uh, I was in heaven. It was like five hundred bucks, and uh, I just. It was, you know, you know how it is. Like you've you've been playing some kind of crappy instrument, and you really <laughs> yeah. get a nice one. It was like, oh man, this is sweet. Do you still have it? No, that one went the way of many instruments. <laughs> sure, <laughs> I have to say, I always had a soft spot in my heart for the um, pumpkin tops, though. So the the one I play now, um, which is made by Max and Laurie Gerard, is modeled on that old pumpkin top Gibson design, although it has it has f holes. But it's got the orangey top and the red back, the nice binding. We used maple binding instead of um, the whatever the other binding is. Yeah, wow, cool. Fashion binding. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. yeah, and if people want to check that out, you did a Mandolin Mondays for David Benedict where you actually play that mandolin. Yeah, that's that right. That fantastic. I was playing a little Irish jig on that, I think. Yeah, like it looked like you were in a church maybe too, getting some, some uh, nice sounding room as well. Yes, that's a uh, recital hall in an old church that's been turned into a little little concert hall. So who were some of the mandolin players when you started, um, you know, picking up that mandolin that you were listening to, um, to, to start to learn things? The big guy right off the top was the dog. Yeah. a lot of us that came to the mandolin through the route that I took, which was um, through rock and folk and not through bluegrass necessarily, although you could get there that way too. But like the first album I heard that really featured the mandolin prominently was uh, Olden in the Way. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, hey, isn't that, that's the guy who was on American Beauty with the dead. Uh, yeah. And then you start, <laughs> start looking for some other Grisman albums and then you know you realize oh wow there's like a whole scene here and then sam bush um those two guys were really big right at the beginning um peter ostrushko was a really big influence on me Do you know? Yeah. Do you know? Are you familiar with his stuff? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was familiar with them at first from um, like Prairie Home Companion, I think. Um, and yeah. then um, just found out like, oh, he's, this guy's got a lot of music out. I think he has that one that's like a three CD album. Yeah, with all kinds of different styles. Yeah. I don't have that one. But yeah, it's really good. He, he That's one of the things I really liked about, you know, a number of those guys is they, they were so open-minded to all kinds of different styles. Um, and then someone like Sam Bush I really liked because he could do the, the bluegrass stuff, but he also would do, you know, a little bit of the rock-type feel, which I really had, you know, I still still like that stuff. In in the Irish front, it was um, the group Planksy. Once I was a waiting man that lived at home the tales. Now I am the mariner that blows the angry seas. Was the one that really, you know, got me into that realm of using the mandolin and the bazooki or the citern, the big mandolins in Celtic music. How'd you come across that? Was it just like a record store sort of thing? or? Yeah, yeah, exactly. No you know? kidding, yeah. <laughs> well, it used to be, I'd just go in the record stores, I'd see if there was anything used that looked interesting or flip through the stacks and... Something caught my eye, and there it was. I think I got a copy of the very first Planksy album and a copy of the first Pierre Ben Suzanne album on the fir- on the same little little shopping trip, and they just totally, you know, I started to do Dad Gag guitar because of that album. Oh with wow, Pierre Ben Suzanne. Yeah, it's really amazing, you know how you know we all we all make albums and do recordings and do gigs and. Um, it's amazing how big an influence I think some of those things can have on people's lives. Oh yeah. I mean, it totally changed my musical perspective. I love one of the things I really love doing with this podcast is finding out, I mean, we all play the same instrument, but we've all got different paths to how we got to where we are or why we play what we play. And it always, I love the stories behind how, you know, you just, you know, you're listening to dog music and then suddenly you get this record at a record store that just changes, you know, changes the direction yeah. and your focus. And I, th- I yep. love all that stuff, man. That's great. So then you, so you kind of dug, started digging into the Irish stuff and, and then how did you, how did that lead you kind of into the direction that you, that you went with the mandolin? Well, I guess I, I, I liked the idea of being a, a diverse player of playing different things that I liked. And yet at the same time, you know, certain things I felt like I would really have to dig in really hard or maybe like cut out some other stuff in order to really go totally down that line. Like swing, swing music. I always felt like, wow, you know, (laughs) that's just, that's a lot to handle. And, uh, <laughs> I've, I've got to really, if, if I'm going to play that, I got to, I got to really dig in. And the same with bluegrass in a different kind of way. It's not as like harmonically complex, but you know, to really get that bluegrass mandolin style down the way, you know, the real, the real good guys play it. I mean, and I'm I'm pretty open-minded in terms of what I like. I know that you know I I like the new grass and the old grass and the few grass and I like a I like a lot of it. But um, I know the difference between you know the real straight ahead, the the real deal bluegrass, and something that you know maybe just has a little bit less of that vibe. So I thought you know I'm probably not really going to be a bluegrass player. And I had a lot of opportunities to do, for example, gigs with Celtic music through my involvement with uh, New England Contra Dances. I played dances uh, for about 20 years and um, was with a couple of bands. And, you know, we we traveled all over the country. We went to Alaska. We went to England a couple times. Um, it was a band called Air Dance with a fiddler named Rodney Miller. We did, we did three CDs. And-
Rodney and I did a duo CD as well. This is back in the 2000s. And um, the main influence on that music is Celtic music and English traditional music. So jigs and reels, uh, a little bit of French Canadian music, and then contemporary tunes that fit that style. So immediately I had a format that I could play those things in and I could be an accompanist on the guitar. I could be a melody player on the mandolin. I could cross over back and forth. Um, and I just, I just loved that music. So it made a, it made a good fit for me. I think sometimes <laughs> having a gig is a really good thing for your musical development, you know? No better motivator than p- potentially looking silly <laughs> in front of yeah, people right. that you don't want to look silly in front of. <laughs> right. <laughs> and playing for those dances, I tell you, that was really good um, for getting in shape on playing fiddle tunes too. Cause you know, you'd play, you'd play the tunes 12 or 15 times through and you'd be playing the melody most of the time. It wasn't like a situation where you'd just like maybe take a solo break and then lay, lay back for four or five rounds. So a lot of playing. I learned a lot of tunes. Now, were you schooled in music uh, at up to this point as far as like re- sight reading and different things like that? No, I, I didn't study music either in high school or in college. Um, oh, no kidding. No. I was a liberal arts major at college. And um, so, you know, I, you know, if you, if you ask me if I was schooled or self-taught, I would say I was self-taught. But it just doesn't take into account all the people and all the situations that I picked up things from over the years. But I guess one of the things that was an outgrowth of that is that I developed a good ear and developed the ability to pick things up quickly by ear and learn by ear effectively and quickly. Um, partly out of necessity. Cause at the beginning I was a terrible sight reader. <laughs> my, my reading has definitely improved at this point, but, um, yeah, at the beginning I was terrible at it. How, um, what are some of the things uh, developing your ear? That's a really good one because I've always blown away when somebody you've never played with sits in on a song that they might not know, and they can pick that melody up right away. And when they they play the melody during a solo, I think it it's it's like oh, it's almost magic. And I don't know if you have some advice maybe for people on how to develop the ear. I try to sort of track things down bit by bit. I usually do try to find like a, a tonal center, uh, you know what what key it's in, if it's major or minor. Get an idea for what note everything kind of revolves around. Um, I, I am pretty good at, at tracking down the the melodies and the chord progressions. You, you just, after a while, you start to, you start to hear them. So I think making connections between things that you already know and filing them away somehow in your head, you know, recognizing, oh, this, this song is a GCD song and this one is also a GCD song. Oh, well, this one kind of sounds like that, but the chords are different. And then you get the concept of the one, four, five chords. And then, you know, it starts to expand. You think, oh, there's, there's a similarity between those. So a little bit of theory can help you. I think I, you're right. You don't want to be, you don't want to be kind of handicapped by it and be, and be, let it, you want to be going out on the edge of that that limb and maybe even falling off sometimes. Yeah. I like to play in places where I don't always know where I'm going. Oh, because I love, yeah. It's, it's the best. <laughs> that's fun. And that's where you, that's where you find some really, some really good stuff. If you just trust yourself and you just figure out, I'm going to just have to figure out something. Cause I don't know what the heck I'm doing here. Um, I do think the mel- the melody is super important as is the rhythm. I mean, everybody, everybody always wants to know the changes, but I've gotten more and more into, exploring the, you know the the pure melody and the rhythmic aspects of of a tune rather than the changes i think sometimes for me playing over the changes has a tendency to lock me into those changes and if i just think in those other realms of melody and of rhythm 
I come up with some stuff that maybe is a little more interesting, a little more out there, a little more not always based on the changes. And, you know, again, that, that can be a risk, but a lot of times it really find you find some exciting stuff doing that. So I would encourage people to, to do that kind of thing. Work, work on your, your ability to pick out those melodies. And then, of course, the melody also gives you something great to fall back on. If you're playing a song and you think, geez, I don't really know what to do for a solo, well, why don't you start with the melody? Yeah, exactly. So how did you go then from um, you know going to school for like liberal arts and then finding yourself playing music for for a living? I just kept starting with things like bar gigs and um, apres ski gigs up in New England at the ski resorts and um, you know outdoor gigs in the summer, little local things, playing on beer decks and um, contra dances. It just I just kept doing all kinds of different gigs figuring, well, you know, eventually this is going to stop and I'll have to do something sensible. (laughs) Um, And then at the same time, I was getting into teaching. I had um, people who wanted to learn and wanted to take lessons from me, and I discovered that I was decent at teaching and that I enjoyed it. So that was a good combo for me, and it's been a really good combo ever since that the, you know, the performing teacher or to the teaching artist, whatever it is, like the combination of education and live performance. Um, I, I like doing both. I think I'm happiest, you know, when I'm, when I'm doing both as opposed to putting all my eggs in one basket. Um, so it, it kind of evolved. I really, it's not like I had a master plan or anything. I just kept, I kept taking gigs and I kept giving lessons and at a certain point it seemed like, oh, well, you know, this is, I guess, going to work. And, (laughs) you know, my wife Susie is also a musician, so we are a two-musician household, which is kind of crazy in some ways and it's been wonderful in so many ways. And our kids are both into music and it's just, it's been a really good thing. Do you do online lessons? I do. Oh, cool. So if anybody yep. wants to uh, to follow up, you got a website. Yeah, it's um my my wife's name is Susie Burke, so it's burkesaret dot com, and you can always get in touch with us um, that same email burkesaret at gmail dot com. And I'll be sure to have those links um, on the podcast description and also on my website too, and um, Great. so that way people can easily reach you. Now you've also kind of you've been doing the camp thing a, a bit too as well. Oh yeah, that's a that's a big, that's a big thing. Yeah. So how did, how did that start then? Cause I think that's so amazing. And especially some of these camps that in the past, oh, 10, five, 10 years have been just, I mean, the talent at these things is astounding, man. <laughs> yeah. So how did you, how did you break into the camps? You know, I probably started doing it about, uh, 30 years ago back, uh, in the early nineties when some of these camps were just getting going um, but it was a perfect fit for me, you know, a guy who likes to teach, who likes to perform, who likes to jam, who likes to hang with people, you know, not everybody is that way. There are some, you know, great musicians and more power to them, but you know, they just don't, they don't really dig teaching. They don't really dig, you know, just hanging out with people that are kind of casual about music or, um, you know, they, they want to do their thing. And that's totally fine. Um, but it's not a good, not a good fit a lot of times for a camp. The camp is really all about, you know, creating community and getting people together that have a shared passion. And so it was a good fit for me. And, um, I think the first one I ever went to was Jay Unger and Molly Mason's uh, Ashokan camp back when they had a Celtic week. This was probably in the late 80s. Oh, wow. And, and then I started getting hired through my work in as a dance band. We'd be, we'd be hired as a dance band a lot of times, either with uh, one, one band I played with before. I played with Air Dance, which was Fresh Fish, with the Kerry Elkin, who was a great fiddler, and then um, with Air Dance as well. Um, we'd get hired for music weeks and music weekends. 
dance dance weeks specifically for dance. And then it does seem that as that crowd got a little bit older, <laughs> got out of their 20s and 30s and into their 50s and 60s, um, they got a little more interested in playing rather than dancing all the time. So there's certainly, you've probably seen it, the huge growth in all these different um, camps over the past 10 or 20 years. Um, so I kind of made that transition as well out of the dance world and more into the playing, playing world. And Susie does that too. So, you know, we're, we'll, we'll often get hired as a, as a pair because, you know, I, I do a lot of the picking stuff and she does a lot of the singing stuff. So it's a good, it's a good match. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, it's really, it's really fun. You know, you're in a great place. Usually they don't have them in like strip malls. (laughs) (laughs) They have them in nice places. (laughs) Oh oh my gosh. Oh, that's, 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 that got me. (laughs) Strip malls almost. (laughs) That's a good one, man. Um, Have have you ever been to it? Have you ever been to a music camp? I have not. I've met, you know what, before I started playing full time, I, I, I always worked full time. And, um, you know, and, and, and having kids, I, it was tough for me oh, yeah. to be able to do that. And then when I started playing music full time, which is, it's been four years, I guess this year now. And, right. um, but now I'm always playing, you know what I mean? That that's the other thing. And yeah, it's I do. always, Absolutely. it's always like the sweet, good paying gig, like the private event that happens to be the same time, like anything else cool is going on. So it's like, oh man, I mean, what are you going right. to do? You know, like Sam Bush is coming to town here in Charleston in, in um, March, I think it is. And I'm like, oh yes. And then I'm like, oh, I'm booked out of town the whole weekend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, oh, what are you going to do? And I've always wanted to go up to where I think you've been before. Is this, is it Swananoa? Oh man, Swananoa is great. That That's where I met um, Alan and Donnie. I mean, talk about Mandomania because they've got that one week that's like, fiddle mando banjo and there's there's a lot of mandolin players there oh my gosh i bet how how can somebody who's listened to this become a better student or what what practices make a good student in someone who does so much teaching and is a great player because i think all of us are always looking for habits to get into to be better well i think uh, you know Approaching it with a certain level of consistency is good in terms of just going back to it. You know, don't don't put down your instrument for two weeks and then figure you can just pick right up where you left off. You know, I think it's it's important to have a commitment and to you know have an ongoing commitment that you you try to pick it up you know every day or every couple days. And um, I think it's important for people to identify stuff that, that they like and that they want to work on. So, you know, if you really like a certain style of music and then you, you go to a local teacher or any, any teacher, an online teacher, and they say, well, you really have to do this other thing. You know, you have to learn to play bluegrass mandolin first or you have to learn 12 scales first you know, maybe you could try something else. I, I think if, if you're working on stuff that you enjoy, you're going to be more motivated to stick with it. And, um, and then um, it also will help you discover a little bit about your own music. You know, what, what do I like? What, what, what are some of the common threads about, it's not always just a style of music. Like for me, I know I tend to like more intimate sounds rather than big super loud sounds. So I like acoustic music a little bit better than heavy metal. <laughs> I like <laughs> string quartets better than, you know, symp- symph- a big, huge symp- symphony. Um, and so I think getting to know yourself a little bit musically is helpful in that, in that lesson process. Um, practice, regular practice is certainly important and practicing effectively you know the difference between practicing and playing sometimes is not really noted people will pick up an instrument and play for half an hour and say oh man yeah i practiced for half an hour today and you know that's not really practice it's good too (laughs) playing playing is wonderful but you know it's nice to be clear about what you're doing and maybe when you sit down to practice be a little organized have some stuff that you're working on have some goals. 
um, practice those specific things, and then afterwards save a little time at the end so you can just play, so you can just enjoy and have fun and kick back with your mando and think, oh yeah, this is why. And plus, at that point, you're you're, you're warmed up, you're feeling good, so you're probably going to sound way better than if you just start playing all those tunes without any warm up. Right, right, exactly. Speaking of Don Sternberg, he's always got the uh, he's got a similar thought pattern between like the difference of practice and playing, and I believe he calls it like uh, that's cubby game playing. So it's <laughs> he's always working on the the tedious, monotonous, boring stuff that you know it's just kind of like re- repetitive. Like oh, I'll just run scales while I'm watching the Cubs play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that can be a good thing. And he's doing all right. <laughs> he's a great player. <laughs> oh my gosh, he's amazing. Speak, speaking of what a player, though, let's talk a bit about the uh, the Green Mandolin album because that one, that's a great album. Oh, thanks, Dan. And, um, you know, I wish I could remember exactly what I was searching for on the cafe that day that led me to a thread about that album, but I was so excited to find it. And, um, you know, it's just, it's a great, great album. And, you know, maybe you could talk a little bit about how you, uh, you know, put it all together and, and came up with the idea to put that album out. Sure. Um, that was definitely one that I wanted to be, um, you know, a, a Celtic themed recording and, um, spotlighting both the, the mandolin and the Saturn. Um, I had some, I had some live recordings from the March mandolin festival, the festival that I have produced over at the Concord community music school, um, for a number of years now. So I, 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 I had some live recordings from that and I thought, you know, I, I've got like half an album of live stuff here. If I record some stuff in the studio, I'd have an album. So I put together those other tracks with thought towards variety, um, different tempos, different feels. So it's not just like endless jigs and reels, um, some different tune traditions. So there's some music from Brittany. Um, there's some French music, I think. Um, slower, faster, um, a, a good mix of stuff. And I did a little bit of overdubbing, which was really fun to do and really made me zero right in on those tempos and get, get my rhythm totally solid. Um, that was a good discipline. And I didn't do that at home. I did that at, um, Chris Magruder's studio. So, um, that was enjoyable too, to just work together on that project. And and the mandolin on the cover is, is not your pumpkin top mandolin. It looks like an F style. Yeah, that was a, that was a instrument I had for a while. When I was playing in air dance, I realized I, I have a beautiful old 19... 19 f2 um you know it's the round hole f style instrument and it's got a great tone but it just doesn't project in the way that i would need it to with that band for a a room full of dancers so i started playing a few uh either f hole or f style instruments i had a flat iron a5 for a while and then i had that one which was a stone bridge was made in the Czech Republic. And the, the luthier over there is a guy named uh, Furch, F-U-R-C-H. And then he didn't think that was a particularly saleable name <laughs> in the U.S. <laughs> Easily mispronounced. Yeah. <laughs> so he went with Stonebridge. And um, I used to teach in a music store, and the, the Stonebridge rep came in and... He said, would you ever be interested in playing one of these? And I tried it out. I thought, 
yeah, I really, I like that a lot. So a big bunch of that album was actually done with that instrument. And then some of the live tracks are done with the old, uh, the Gibson F2. Yeah. Cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. I listened to that album. I was in Ireland for a month in, um, 2019 and, uh, listened to that album once or twice when we were on like a, uh, bus traveling to whatever, um, trip we were taking and it was just perfect for that landscape because you know like once you get five minutes outside of dublin it's it's like the most beautiful drive in every direction ever and that was a real good soundtrack to uh to listen to to you know well that makes make. me feel good thank oh, yeah, you absolutely no thank you <laughs> thank you for putting it out man i love the the, the mix between uh you know a, a good piece of music and you know scenery or the vibe just when there's that sort of match between the two of them really it's it's good for good for everybody yeah i agree yeah so that's that's kind of the story of the green mandolin yeah well i love it and i recommend anybody checking it out it looks like it may be is it out of print on cd itself now it looks like um when looking online anyway it looks like it was you know closing in on a hundred dollars a copy for a hard copy of it you know, I I definitely still have some. So if anybody oh cool, if anybody wants wants them, they can definitely get them from me. Perfect. They're they're only ninety five bucks from me. <laughs> See, and it's a deal. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a little bit. Um, just a little bit about uh, more about gear. Do you have any other? Uh, your, your main axe is that is that the uh, the pumpkin top one that you played in the mandolin Mondays? Then oh pretty, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's. I it's I love that instrument. Um, How long have you had it for? I was built for me. It was the only mandolin that was ever built for me um, in 2014. Wow. So, how cool. Yeah, it's really, it's been a good fit because, you know, it's got the projection of the A5 with the F holes and everything, but it also has a nice round, warm, low end, and it's a great all-arounder, really fits my style nicely. Um, I like the longer scale length that the you know, the F5s and the A5s have as opposed to the round hole A's. Um, and then I've got my my Gibson F2, my 1919 F2, which is a wonderful instrument also. I would never get rid of that one. Man, I love the old 19, like that 1916 to 1920, those oval holes. They just have so yeah. much vibe. Yeah, they've got a great sound and great, yeah, the great old-fashioned vibe. And then my... um my Sittern, the 10-string, five-course instrument, um, was made by Bob Abrams up here in New Hampshire of Trillium Instruments. He makes he makes octave mandolins and Sitterns and a variety of other things, too. He's not building very much right now. I think he's essentially retired from commercial building of any sort. But I had a four-course of his that I really liked. And I was, I was always kind of mystified about the fives and he had a re he had a redesign of his five string model. And he said, you know, I'd love, I'd love for you to take a look at this and see what you thought about that. And, um, I finally got it through my head that I didn't have to play all five courses all the time, that it was okay to play a pair of strings or, you know, three sets of strings rather than always, you know, all five. I don't know why it took me so long to figure that out, <laughs> but that was kind of the key to unlocking the playing of the Citroen for me. And it's a, it's got quite a long neck. So it capos beautifully. And I just, I love it. It's, it's a nice middle ground between the guitar and the, and the mandolin. What, uh, what tuning is that in? It's, it's in a different tuning than a mandolin, right? People use a lot of different tunings on them, but what I do is I start with like standard mandolin tuning on the four highest strings, mm -hmm. and then I bring the G string down to A, and then below that, there's another string that could be tuned to either C or D, and I tune that to D. So then from low to high, you end up with D, A, D, A, E. It's kind of like on the bottom end, you've got drop D on a, on a guitar or dad get on a guitar, just the D-A-D. And then the top three, you've got D-A-E. So just like a mandolin, you've got all your fingerings for your fiddle tunes and your familiar shapes on the top four, uh, top three. 
And it sounds so cool. Yeah, it's it's I've really I've really come to really appreciate that instrument. What about string, strings and picks and such on your mandolins? You know, I've used GHS strings for years. Um and uh they're very consistent and I use I use phosphors on bro, on both. Um I'm much more of a switcher around uh with picks. But uh, I think my current two faves are um, the Prime Tones by Dunlop, the brown Prime Tones. Mm-hmm. And then I, I like the kind of large triangle shape, the equidistant triangle with a little bit of a point on each side. I don't like the ones that are super round. But then I also like the um, Golden Gate makes a large triangle as well, which is pretty nice. Anywhere from like a 1 to a 1.4 is kind of my sweet spot. Yeah. I just got the uh, the Golden Gate the uh, the clown barf. <laughs> oh yeah, Triangle I love one. the clown barf. Yeah, me too. David Benedict uh, has also been. I noticed he's had that in the last few videos. He's been he's been posting. <laughs> oh, cool. And they're affordable, man. They're pretty inexpensive. I know. Yeah, I mean, I have a blue chip, and I've got a tortoise shell, um, which I was given, um, and I, yeah, I just don't want to carry around like a. 30 or $40 pick with me. And the difference in sound is not that much or even it's just different. It's not like better necessarily. So I I really like those other picks. I'll, I'll I'll be totally happy with those. Yeah, they're great. Well, cool, man. Well, I have two more questions for you. This has been, it's been such a good time talking with you. I can see why you're such a successful teacher. <laughs> you're like, you have the great attitudes. I mean, successful teacher and player. I mean, it's just, well, uh, yeah, this has been, this has been such a good time so far tonight, man. I appreciate you doing this. Oh, hey, it's been a great time for me. I appreciate you doing it. Oh, thanks. Nice. So, so I like your series. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. And, um, so the, the, one question I guess I always always try to ask, and we touched on it a little bit, and so I was wondering if you rec- if you could recommend something that somebody could work on for ten minutes, um, what would you recommend? Pick direction. I think I think pick direction is is super important, especially if you want to play fast and you want to play evenly, and if you want to play fast, you got to be able to play evenly. So having a really consistent pick direction is so important for that. So I would say I would have people, um, you know, start just by picking out whatever rhythm you're using, whether it's four, four or three, four or six, eight, you know, those are probably the most common ones for our kinds of music. And, you know, just start getting your pick moving over the strings, even just the open strings down, up, 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 then maybe play a scale down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up. And then gradually work it out so you're playing like, move up to playing one stroke per note. Down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up. You know, you could do that in 10 minutes. And if you mix it up, you play in different keys, you play in different rhythms. The the nice thing about this is you don't have to play fast, especially at the beginning, to see some results because it's all about being consistent. And then gradually, you'll definitely be able to go faster. So that that would be my top choice. Oh, that's a great one. And then we already kind of talked beer. So um, my, my default question, if beer has already been discussed, or if, if the person doesn't, doesn't drink beer, is what would be your favorite fiddle tune to play currently? Oh like if you were to pick God. up your, your mandolin and you're going to just play something, what, what do you think it would be? What a good question. Um, my favorite fiddle tune to play. Um, we're talking about like the old classics, right? It could be whatever you want. It could be anything. Um, jeez. You know, <laughs> it's funny for a guy that plays so much Celtic music. You know, <laughs> two tunes I play a lot uh-huh. that I just love playing are the old time tune over the waterfall? Oh yeah, and the Monroe tune, uh, Old Dangerfield. Oh, I love Old Dangerfield. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's great. You know? I, yeah, I love. I see. This is again. This is why I love this podcast. I love to find out like what what type of stuff you know that who I for people who I love to listen to what type of stuff they would play if they were just to pick something up and yeah, that's yeah, awesome, I'm man. Go with, I'm gonna go with those. I love it. That's perfect. <laughs> 
Well, David, this has been just a pleasure, man. I, I'm so glad that we got to got to make this happen here, and and uh, I'm hoping everything gets normal this year, so maybe we could actually meet in person. <laughs> and uh, that would be great. I would hope so. Let's keep in touch. Yeah, for sure. And um, just a reminder to everybody that they can um, go and they can if they want to take lessons from you. You do the online lessons and and the new book and things like that. I have all the links for you. So thank you great. so much for doing this, David. My pleasure. Thank you, Daniel. I'll look forward to the rest of your series, too. 